Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Sound Stories, an inspirational podcast for creative professionals and storytellers who want to improve their lives at home and at work. I'm Stephanie Cicerelli, your host and co-founder of Voices.com. As a storyteller in the digital realm, you want to know that your carefully crafted messages aren't just floating around in cyberspace, but adding value to someone's life. But when you think about actually climbing to the top of search engine results, where your content will be seen, do you think it's a real possibility or just a pinnacle reserved for those with endless resources? Tim Cameron Kitchen, founder of Exposure Ninja, a digital marketing agency in the UK, wants you to know that anyone can climb that SEO summit, and he's made it his mission to share the secrets behind creating top-ranking content. In fact, he's literally written the book on the subject, with not one, but five best-selling books, including How to Get to the Top of Google. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thanks, Stephanie. It's an honor to be here. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, thank you for joining us. Now, Tim, you've become a well-established expert in this field. Can you share how you developed your expertise and how did all of this start for you? Yeah, definitely. So um, I developed my expertise not in a university or by, you know, any sort of research or anything, but actually just by kind of doing it. So back to the beginning, I started as a professional drummer and uh, I was playing in a band, but to make money, I was recording for people over the internet. So what I had to do during that time was um, set up a website and without kind of realizing it, I was teaching myself digital marketing. I was doing SEO before I knew it as SEO. I was running Google AdWords. I was doing Facebook ads. So I was doing all of this digital marketing stuff, but all I saw was just, hey, I need to get more drumming business. Um, So I was doing that for a bit and it was all cool. Eventually I got bored of that. So I started teaching other drummers how to do it. And I started teaching them, you know, how to get to the top of Google. And again, I wasn't really saying, hey, drummers, here's how to do SEO. I was like, well, if you want to get more drumming business, here's what you need to do to your website to get yourself ranking. Um, And then I got talking to my next door neighbor who was a plasterer. So he was going into people's homes and plastering. And uh, I noticed that he was always, sat around the house he was inside a lot and he didn't seem to have much work so I just got talking to him one day and said hey man how come you're not out there plastering all the people in this town and he said well I I really don't get any business so I said well what's what's the deal with your website where's your website he said I don't don't really have a website I tried to get a website but you know the the company ripped me off and and nothing happened so I just built my website and I did the stuff that I taught myself how to do and um, within about six months, that guy had gone from being completely, you know, flat broke and, and living in his mum's house. His partner was able to quit her job. He was able to think about buying his first house. And he was now the busy, busiest plasterer in the town. He was employing the other people that used to employ him. And I was like, holy moly, this is crazy. And it was a sleepy small town. It was the first website I'd ever built for anybody else. And to see this kind of transformation, I was like, okay forget the drumming stuff there's something here this is really really interesting so i just started building loads of different websites for tradesmen um i took that success story and used that to sell websites to other plasterers and then to lots of plumbers um and just started kind of scaling up that side of things really and then uh i was talking to all these plumbers about websites and internet stuff um and the stuff they were saying back to me made absolutely no sense so that we were talking about seo and they were saying all of this stuff which made me think actually they had absolutely no idea what seo really was or how it really worked 
so that's when I wrote the book and uh, yeah, the book grew an agency and it's been great fun and very busy ever since. Wow. So it all started with a friend who was a plasterer, um, someone who works in other people's homes, I'm guessing, and, and also his friends, the plumbers, and, and everyone's learning about this wonderful uh, tool, you know, to have a website and to have a search engine optimized website at that. So I'm glad that, you know, it, it's funny how sometimes, uh, you know, when we meet people and we have talents and gifts, like you were mentioning the drumming, the kind of music brought you into this. Uh, um, that we discover other things along the way that we're also passionate about and, and then those passions change and, and here you are today. So, so Tim, what would you consider to be good content and, and how do you identify what will work for your business? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and talking about kind of what makes good content or bad content, I think a lot of us in the SEO world can be really guilty of treating content as this. Um, kind of almost this like dead thing that we just need to put on a website. Say, so, oh, you need an image and you need content. And it's just sort of this big block of text that you just stick on for SEO benefit. Um, I think the possibility with content is, is significantly more than that. I was just reviewing a, a site for someone today and they saw these beautiful um, handmade artisan vases. And I was talking to her at a show that we did um, last week and, and, the content on their site, you know, to describe the vase, they've got like two sentences of copy and it's completely dead. It's all abstract stuff. And the way I used to explain it to her was imagine that I'm in your shop and you're telling me about this vase. You're telling me about the story behind the design. You're telling me about the passion and the talent that went into building this vase. I don't understand. Like if I came into your shop and said, tell me about this vase and you just gave me one sentence and then said, buy now. There's absolutely no way I would buy. You'd tell me the story, you'd tell me all the benefits, you'd answer my questions. So that's exactly the approach that they should be taking with their content, right? The, the description of that product should be gushing. It should be really long because she's really passionate about her product. She's really passionate about her story. So I think when we're talking about content, it's important not to build it up into this you know into this thing i mean even calling it content is a little bit strange i think it's just words isn't it we're just telling people about our business and we know from experience in life generally that we need to tell people about stuff in order for them to want to use us so the principles of good content are really just the principles of, of good communication if you've got a story you want to tell it Absolutely. So it's it's like if they don't even know that you offer a solution to their problem, then then they'll never consider you as, as someone who could help them to solve that problem. No, very good points. So when it comes to driving narrative online, a lot of businesses can find themselves relying on, you know, sales pitches and promotions and like I'm sure you've seen it, but you know, people will use their social media channels to only, you know, tell customers about what they're selling and, and what their company's up to. So, you know, how can we as um, people who are running businesses shift our mentality from selling and kind of telling people more or less what it is that we want them to hear uh, versus having conversation and adding value? Yeah, that's a good question. You're completely right about social media. It tends to just be like a, a one-way broadcast that, that people use and um, we're just going to, you know, pump our stuff out over and over again. And then we look at our pages and go, oh, you know, oh, Facebook doesn't work for my business. I get no engagement. I think it it comes back to kind of thinking about the role of our business for people. And, and one of the things that we, we we push people on when, they're, when they have a blog is rather than making your blog about your business or you or the things that you want to say, let's imagine that you're running a magazine that your target audience would really, really want to read. 
And when you read a magazine, you'd never read a magazine if it was just pure ads, would you? It's, you know, no one, would, no one would read it. That's the free ads paper. That's the one that goes straight in the bin as soon as it comes through the front door. The magazines that we love are the ones that have loads of articles and loads of content in. So, and, and the reason we love that content is because it's useful, it's entertaining, and it's interesting. So I think this starts with the blog. Everybody's blog should be basically really in-depth answers to the top questions or the top things that their audience is thinking about. So that's one of the things that we get people to do straight away. Go onto a website like answerthepublic.com. You can type in what it is that you do and you'll see all the top questions that people are asking about your product or service. And that's a really useful tool because you can then take each of those questions and make a really in-depth blog post which answers that question. This is a fantastic thing to do because then you have something to share on social media. You have something relevant and interesting that people will actually want to read and actually want to share. But also you have something that has a really strong chance of ranking on Google for that question. So if I search for, for example, what is a good bounce rate, which is a metric that you know people use in their website analytics, well, the post that shows up is, is a blog post that I wrote, which is what, is what makes a good bounce rate. So the reason that we wrote that is because we know that anybody searching for that topic is a good potential client of ours. So listeners can do exactly the same thing. What are the questions that your audience will be asking if they're likely to be in the right sort of frame of mind to do business with you? And then all you need to do, write blog posts which answer each of those questions. Now the good news is, as I say, that stuff translates really well on social media because all of a sudden now you've got something to share which is useful and interesting rather than just, hey, 10% off, click here to go to our website. Hey, we've just launched a new thing on our website. Hey, we've got this new deal on our website. It's just bam, bam, bam. It's just all about them. So those are some ways that people can start to think about being a bit more useful and interesting. Well, I would agree. Uh, it sounds not terribly engaging. You know, if I were someone on the receiving end of just a constant stream of here's what we can do for you, here's our next deal, and and I don't feel like you're connecting with me on this customer journey that I'm on, then then I'm, I'm not likely to to engage with that uh, communication whatsoever. But but it I like what you said about finding a question to answer basically that that people want to know the answer to that and of course you are the solution provider of of whatever it is that they want what is that website again tim it's called answerthepublic.com answerthepublic.com yeah just type in a few words type in your different products and services on that site and you'll instantly have like 50 or 100 blog posts that you can find oh brilliant and, and everyone loves an idea generation sessions and i'm sure that would really kick off a beating if someone were to <laughs> sit down with their their whiteboard and their their markers there and just just um you know find something that they can do right away so along the lines of, of just kind of measuring and kpis and you know data just wondering now, Tim, where does data come into play? Like there, there's so much data that we can gather now. It's almost overwhelming to people, you know, not just from other people who are, are using, you know, a website, but also, you know, sometimes people are, are using this information to game search engines. Now, how do we start to sift through what's useful and what's not? I think when we're looking at data, particularly or data, data, as you say, data, as I say, because I'm a posh English fellow, um, there's really two types of, of data in SEO. We have the exact data, with data which is actually measured stuff. So we have, you know, visitors. We have uh, conversions. So that's the the stuff that we can actually a absolutely rely on. And then we have another type of data which is kind of extrapolated, estimated data. So lots of people will use like a keyword tool, or they'll use a site like. 
um, you know, similar web or something like that. And they'll do some research into a competitor and they'll say, oh, this competitor is getting X number of visitors from this particular channel or um, this, this website is getting this many sessions per month from Facebook ads or whatever. And it's really important to realize that most of the time, that data is complete rubbish. I mean, it might be in the right ballpark, but it might also not be. And we've done plenty of tests with, with some of our own clients looking at what the what this kind of extrapolated estimated data says compared to what that website is actually seeing. So I think data definitely has a place and it's really, really important, but we've got to, we, we never want to trust data more than we trust our own instinct and we trust our own you know, understanding of our market. So how I'd look at data, really, really simple. The metrics and the KPIs that we use when we're working on client SEO campaigns or on our own stuff is all about good quality traffic coming in and conversions. We need to know numbers for both of those. Now, everything comes back to conversions, which is you know, a contact form or a sale if you're an e-commerce business or a click-to-call if you're generating phone calls. Everything has to come back to that. So every piece of marketing activity we do, we're looking at how does it move the needle on conversions. Um, so that's that's really important, and I'd pretty much keep it as traffic ranking. You can use a tool like SEMrush to monitor ranking. That's fine, um, and conversions, and those are really the only things that I trust absolutely. I like what you said about it being a mixture of your gut, but also the the data or the data, however we want to say it today. <laughs> yeah. um, which, of course, I appreciate your accent. I'm sure everyone else listening to you does as well. Um, what part of England are you from, Tim? I'm actually from Ascot, um, which is. Uh, very near Windsor Castle. I don't know if you know that, where the Queen lives. Oh. Uh, but I live up north in Nottingham now, where the, the Sheriff of Nottingham and Robin Hood. Oh, very lovely. Yeah, I've been to Windsor Castle, actually. So um, now that we're, we're back to kind of uh, keywords, let's just jump back in there. Uh, what do you think about making a play for a keyword? Certainly. I think, I think the role of keywords has changed a lot as Google has become a bit more sensible about what a, you know, it, it used to be back when I started making websites we would give the website the name of the keyword that we wanted to rank for. And I remember building a site called Halifax Plastering, and uh, it was ranking at the top of Google for Halifax Plastering before the site was even launched. And that, you know, that was the glory days of the keywords. Um, keywords are still important, but not to the same extent. So we don't need to be as unsophisticated as, as you know, just using our target keyword all over our website. We can talk in a natural way, we can mention our keyword, and we can mention variations. It's still really important, you know, some people go too far and they say, you know, keywords don't matter anymore. We don't really need to worry about keywords at all. The keyword is, it's still good practice because at the end of the day, a keyword is the phrase that your customer has in their mind when they're searching for something. So if someone searches for um, voiceover artist Nottingham, for example, that's the phrase that they've got in their head. So we'd be crazy not to use on our website, hey, if you're looking for a voiceover artist in Nottingham, we offer a really professional service, blah, 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 blah. So we're still going to be using those phrases, but we're not tied to them in the same way that we used to be. No, interesting. Um, the same with, with what we're doing, too. We're very much aware of what kind of questions people are asking or what they're looking for and trying to incorporate that into our own strategies. I'm sure other listeners here are doing the same thing, too. Um, just for those of us who maybe are a little less sophisticated in this area, how can someone know 
um, what keywords they should be trying to get. Like you can say, well, this is my business and, and here's the services we offer. This is our target audience or our market. Uh, you know, here's some words that relate to those people. How can someone know whether or not the words that they may want to use are actually the right ones and which ones of those words would get them the best results? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's a, it's a really simple question with, unfortunately, a complicated answer. Um, but, I'll, I'll, you know, there's a really straightforward way of doing this, and that is uh, ring up or, or email your customers and say, hey, if you're looking for us, what would you search for? Um, that's going to give us a really, really good starting point. And if we're in an uncompetitive market, that might be enough. Um, so really simply, what would you be looking for if you're looking for my business? The tendency can sometimes be for um, for people to think in very industry-specific terms. So I'm sure that this might also happen in the voiceover world, for example. we I remember working with a, a client that did something called on-site massage. And uh, what this meant is that they go into an office and they massage people. And, um, you know, that, that, that's, their, that's their whole business. And we said, okay, what do you want to rank for? And they said, on-site massage. And they, we said, are you sure? And they said, yes, look at all our competitors. And sure enough, all of their competitors were targeting this phrase, on-site massage. And they were all advertising and they all called their websites on-site massage. We actually looked at the data and found that actually nobody knew what this phrase was other than industry people. So everyone else was calling this office massage or corporate massage. So the industry had kind of perpetuated this myth of this keyword that actually really wasn't used by the target audience whatsoever. So that's why always coming back to asking your customers, talking to them, you can't really beat that because you can look at data and you can look at numbers but you don't know who's searching for those things. So there's a few ways that people can, can find good keywords. Obviously, start with talking to our people. Um, the other thing that you can do is use a tool like SEMrush. And SEMrush, S-E-M-R-U-S-H, will give you an indication about how many people are searching for this keyword per month. Um, that's quite useful. Um, remember, it's only an indication. They don't know exactly. They can only estimate. So it's an indication. Um, so we can see how many people are searching for each keyword. The other thing that we can see is how much people are willing to spend to advertise for that keyword. So in SEMrush, you'll see a column labeled CPC. So we can see, say, people might be willing to spend $2 to advertise for this keyword, but they might be willing to spend $5 to advertise for this keyword. So what does that tell us about the $5 keyword? Well, it tells us that it might have higher competition, but it might also tell us that it has higher commercial intent. So in other words, that keyword is more likely to turn into a sale than maybe a $2 keyword, which might be more informational. So it might be someone who's in the research phase. The best way to test keywords, though, is to use Google AdWords. Um, because what Google AdWords will allow you to do is run ads for lots and lots of different keywords and track the leads that are coming from each one. So this is the clearest information possible about which keywords are most profitable for you. Because we'll often see that the most popular keyword, the keyword with the highest search volume, isn't necessarily the one that turns into the most leads or sales. So having that data from Google AdWords is, is really, really important because you can then say, oh, do you know what? All of my competitors, they're targeting this really popular phrase, but actually for me, I know that that's not the most profitable one. So I'm gonna instead put all of my SEO attention into this other phrase, 
which might not have as much volume, but actually for me, it's going to make a much bigger impact to my business. Well, those are great tips, Tim. And I especially appreciate how um, you're helping people to get out of the echo chamber that sometimes <laughs> we can find ourselves in an in industry, right? As you say there are either jargony terms or, or just, you know, words that are perpetuated within the circle of, of the people who are using them, but they mean nothing or they're not going to be the words that convert or are even being searched for um, by those who we'd like to help out. So uh, I thank you for that. And and I know that in your business, Exposure Ninja, you cater to all kinds of clients of, of varying sizes. Now, is it really possible for anyone to deploy the same tactics and reach success online? It is. I think it's about picking your battles. We often work with really small businesses that are going up against absolute, you know, the internet giant companies like Amazon. Um, and if you're competing against massive competition that has huge resources, you can win. Uh, it's either going to take a long time or what you can do instead is look for maybe lower traffic areas where you know that you can, you know, you just pick a smaller battle, laser focus it and dominate in that area. And then you can expand out from there. So, you know, it, it'll be things like looking at the sort of keywords that you're targeting. So for this site that I'm looking at at the moment, they're selling vases. And the phrase that they've decided they want to rank for is bars. Well, I'd say to them, it's a brand new website, so you're not going to rank for that initially. That might be a two-year thing. But now let's start with handmade bars or artisan bars, or, you know, something like that. So we're picking a battle, but we know that we've got a higher chance of winning. But we're also choosing a phrase that we know if someone searches for artisan bars, they're much more likely to be a customer for artisan bars company than someone who's just searching for general VARs and they're looking to pay, you know, $10 for a VARs. So it's about being more specific if you're competing in the big market. But certainly, you know, you'd be amazed at how simple it can be to rank for some of these phrases. We've ranked um, sites for, you know, all sorts of phrases against massive amounts of competition. We've been outranking Apple for phrases, outranking TripAdvisor for stuff. Even sometimes with uh, some of our e-commerce businesses, they'll outrank the manufacturers of the products that they're selling. So, we got an e-cigarette client who's outranking a lot of the e-cigarette manufacturers for their own brand names. So it's just about making sure that your website is as useful as possible, making sure you've got a ton of content, some really useful blog posts on there, and then making sure that that site is as authoritative as possible by making sure that you're being talked about all around the internet. Yeah, well, I, I think it, the whole storytelling angle is something that really interests me in this. And uh, just the fact that you've helped people to outrank Apple for something that maybe is an Apple product, I'm not sure, or, or TripAdvisor you just mentioned too. So what kind of a storyteller does this company need to be in order to outrank uh, a big brand um, like the ones that you've mentioned? The big brands are really good at being general, right? Something like Amazon, they have one page for each of their products and there's a limited amount of stuff that they can have on that page. Like, yes, they go in depth. Yes, they've got loads of product reviews and stuff, which is all useful text. But as a smaller company, you can go much more in depth with your story. So if you're focusing your entire website, your entire blog around artisan vases, for example, you can give loads and loads of answers to different questions around them. You can make your site the most useful website for anybody looking for artisan vases in the world. And if you do that and you give Google the right signals, really Google has no choice but to rank you above 
even larger sites that might be targeting these phrases. So in any case where we've outranked a website that we should have lost to, for example, TripAdvisor, um, we've just gone big, big on content. So loads and loads more content than these guys. Because, you know, TripAdvisor, they're never going to be able to beat us for a specific phrase. We can always we can always win that battle because we don't have so many phrases to target. They're targeting millions and millions of keywords. We only need a couple for this particular client. So it may, means that you can really, really focus and go really deep. Okay, so so having a, a really deep focus um, or a narrow focus, we'll just say that, like, and, yeah. and really building on that focus. Obviously, links are important, and and they help to show that a website has authority. And and the more people who are linking to something, the more authoritative that that page may be, depending on their own authority in in that area. So um, when you talk about ranking Apple or, or TripAdvisor and, and having really rich yet dense content that's really specific on something that they may be writing about, but it's, it's really general. Like what else goes into this mix? Like, do you need to be supporting this with with uh, maybe other people linking to that page to help boost it? Or, or is this something that could just happen organically? You know, pardon the puns here, but, you know, could it just be, an or, you know, something that um, is helpful to people in that sense? And, and all they have to do is, is create great content and it just comes to the surface organically? Um, it, it depends on the market. That we, We've got such ranking where they, they don't have very many links at all. And in those cases, we've picked uh, a, a topic which is, low competition and just gone really narrow with the focus and written you know, really long, really detailed blog posts and that can be a good way to get ranked. For more competitive phrases, it is going to be important to get some links. Um, now, the good news is that links don't have to be hard to come by. There's some pretty straightforward ways to get links and it all ties in with being a good storyteller. Um, but, you know, whether it's getting a, a link and a site like Forbes or something like that, which is relatively easy to do, um, or whether it's going to an industry-specific publication where you can write something that's very much targeted to, to your audience. Um, lots and lots of ways to get links. But links are definitely, definitely important. It's very difficult to rank a website without um, some kind of conscious, ongoing link acquisition program. All right. And so, again, storytelling just comes right to the, the front here. So what's one thing that a listener could do today to become a better storyteller? Hmm, that's a really good question. Do you know what? There's a there's a really good way of getting links, and it all it ties into telling stories. Um, there's a Twitter hashtag that journalists use: hashtag PR request or hashtag journal request. And journalists will use it if they're writing a story for their publication. So, for example, uh, a lady called Alison Coleman tweeted me or just used it she tweeted out saying hashtag PR request looking for entrepreneurs to talk about what they wear to work so um i tweeted her back and said hey allison you know and i, I told her a story i said i dressed up even though we work with everyone in the company works from home and she then got back and said great can i send you over an email and you know we had to have the conversation and i explained my situation and my position to her in a way that made it really compelling. Well, Alison writes for Forbes, so that piece got on the Forbes website and we get a link, but that's, that, that's really helpful. And, and that really helps the, the SEO visibility. This is something that absolutely anybody can do. Um, and it, the key is storytelling. Because if you look at the tweets that someone like Alison will get when they use a hashtag PR request or hashtag journal request, you'll notice that all of the people who tweet back are saying things like, hey, yeah, my client can, 
answer this my my client i'd love to put you in contact with my client it's all boring rubbish right if you just tweet back and you tell that person the story you tie your business in with what they're looking for because they need an angle for their publication if you can tie that in nicely you've got a really good shot of getting published so i just encourage people to do that and just to keep keep practicing the more you're responding to these journalists the more you're giving them little angles you'll see what works with them you'll see what gets their interest and then you'll start to pick up some links as well so i think just kind of just working on reps for that is, is a really good way of making some relationships with some high profile journalists but also just practicing your story and finding out which parts of your story most resonate with these people so tim we've been talking an awful lot about your business exposure ninja but we've not actually talked about your website and where people can go to learn more about you could you share a bit more with us about that yeah so you can go to exposureninja.com and uh, we've got a blog on there which is gives you so much stuff about how to improve your website ranking different things to look at how to know if your website's performing well and all that type of stuff um, so i encourage people to check out that there's also something on ExposureNinja.com called the free website and marketing review and um if you fill in details here there's a short questionnaire to fill in and one of our team will spend half an hour filming you a video showing you how to improve the performance of your website both how to generate more leads from the site itself, but also how to increase the traffic that you're getting to the site. So um, it's, it's a really, really in-depth video. It's not like one of these free website reviews where you just type in your website and up comes this list of things that you're doing wrong. It's actually someone who really knows their stuff inside out reviewing your website and sending you a, a custom video. Um, so I encourage people to check that out if you want to generate some more leads and sales. It's a, it's a really proactive thing that you can do um, to do that. And it's all plain English as well, so you don't have to be some kind of uh, coding geek to understand it all. So that's ExplosionNinja.com, and you can reach me. Uh, my Twitter handle and my handle for most places is Tim Ninja Kitchen. So uh, tweet me out, let me know you've uh, listened to the show, and yeah, looking forward to talking to people. Wow, that that's really valuable. I I'm thinking like almost everyone who's listening to the show hopefully will take you up on that and and uh, if you get a lot of requests just be sure to let us know that'd be interesting uh, but I want to thank you so much Tim for being on the show and for sharing your wisdom and, and also for teaching us about how we can be better storytellers online to help our websites rank better no worries Seth. it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for joining us for this episode of sound stories if you like what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We hope to have you back for our next episode of Sound Stories.